Thanks for joining us on the JX today. I'll turn things over to Chelsea Rose for a new installment of Underground History. You're listening to Underground History, a collaboration between JPR and the Southern Oregon University Laboratory of Anthropology, or SULA. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose. Today, I am taking you back out in the field with me on the hunt for clues about the early days of the Oregon Gold Rush. We're using the ditches, tailing piles, modern technology, bottle glass, ceramics, and more to help us get some clues about the men who came here to the forests of Southern Oregon, which at the time was sovereign Indian territory territory in search of a better life for themselves and their families. So right now we're talking with Sula's very own Katie Johnson. You've heard her on the show before talking about bones, but she's also our resident cartographer. And we are using a GPS, which stands for Global Positioning System. What does GPS stand for, Katie? Is that right? Okay. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that contraption you have, and if it makes noise, that's always exciting for radio. Um, Unfortunately, this does not make any noise. It's very quiet. (laughs) Can you tell us what you think it would sound like were it to make noise? I'm sure it would go beep, boop, 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 beep. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, So we use the GPS system to help us to obtain high-accuracy locational information across the landscape so um, in the olden days when people used to record this type of landscape it was very difficult we didn't have the use of big mapping programs and the use of LIDAR that allow us to really see the landscape as a whole and so individuals were coming out here and trying to connect this larger landscape with just you know hand-drawn maps and measuring tapes. And we have some of that going on in the site too. We'll be talking to them as well today. (laughs) Yeah but so now with the use of the GPS and modern technology we're able to really look at the landscape as a whole and record very small or large features with accuracy and then see how they interact across the larger landscape. And you mentioned LIDAR, and that's light imaging, detecting, and ranging. And that's basically from an airplane, and they take a very close map of the surface of the earth, and you can erase trees and layers like that. So that's been really revolutionary for archaeologists, not only looking at temples in the jungles, but also trying to get a sense of these huge mining landscapes like the one we're on right now, which span sometimes miles. So we have the GPS happening. We have hand mapping. We're going to be talking to some of them. And then we also have detailed mapping happening within the unit. So Katie, when you get back, how do you geo-reference all this data so it makes sense spatially and helps us learn a little bit more about the site and the people who lived here and worked here? Uh, Yeah, so the main thing we do is really compile all of the tools that we have access to. So we're using the GPS in the field to take accurate, um, detailed points of the landscape. And then we're using the LIDAR and overlaying those. And from there, even if we couldn't necessarily see it on the landscape because of the vegetation or accessibility issues, we can sometimes tie these larger landscapes together using the LIDAR and following out larger features like ditches and stuff. Um, And then we also use a variety of our historic maps that we're able to overlay that give us information um, about the type of mining that was happening. Sometimes we can find the people who were mining here and like really tie it together with the individuals. Thanks. I'll let you get back to mapping. 
So we are out in the remote Siskiyou Mountains where some of the earliest gold strikes were found in the 1850s. And these sites are really complicated. They're really steep canyons with creeks nearby. And they're not somewhere that you would choose to live or necessarily hang out, except for if you were busy looking for gold because people went where the gold was. So we're out on this very steep archaeological site. There's you know, people running all over this hillside, and we're having to use, because we're so remote, we're having to use a variety of technology. So we've got some GPS, modern mapping stuff going on, and we're doing some old school mapping as well. So I'm going to come over here and talk to Eric Gleason, who's an archaeologist with the SOU Laboratory of Anthropology, SULA, and he is leading the hand mapping of the site. So can you tell me exactly what you're doing? So we're um, working to make a topographic map of the excavation area so we can know what the contours of the land here are and how it affected the settlement and the use of this area and also how it relates to the excavation units that we're working on. So we're using a, an old builder's level to get the elevations and a, a metric stadia rod and then we're just basically using this optical level to shoot elevations at one, inter one meter intervals across the landform here. So this looks kind of like when you're driving down I-5 and you see surveyors like doing that kind of recording. Is it basically the same kind of surveying equipment is the same no matter what the application is? Yeah, this is very similar. This is just, um, we use tapes and stuff to get our distances rather than lasers and things like that. So, but basically the same. And how often is it for this kind of old school mapping to happen on an archaeological site? I mean, we, we do it because you work for us, but I certainly don't have this equipment or wouldn't be able to do it. But this is kind of a, a dying art form, would you say? Um, maybe a little bit. But um, the advantage here is that it's, it's a little bit more accurate for these for getting elevations. GPS isn't too good for elevations yet. So so it's good for getting elevations and some of the relative kind of things like that. And uh, people use them on sites fairly regularly because archaeologists are always a few steps behind in technology, it seems. so. The more technology advances and the less you use this type of mapping equipment, do you die a little bit inside? <laughs> a little. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Eric. So now we're going to talk to retired SOU geography professor, John Richards, who um, is out here volunteering on this project with us. And he spent his career looking at maps. And for the first time, he's getting to make one. So tell us a little bit about this process and what you learned and what you uh, what, you, what surprises you, I guess? Well, what surprises me is how much fun it is uh, collecting original data and uh, measuring things to the centimeter. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a great deal. Uh, I've been exposed to these techniques, but mostly in theory, and so there's, you know, how do things wiggle, how do things stretch. It, it's... Uh, gives you an idea of the difficulty of measurement and what measurement really means. And do you think back about some of the maps you looked at long ago and, and think about them in new lights? Like, do you, do you know now something you wish you knew 20 years ago? I'm not sure I want to answer that question. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I've always had a lot of respect for the surveying process, and so... Uh, this just drives it all home.
Yeah, this is a much um, larger scale than I'm used to working on. I'm used to seeing small pa maps of very big places, and this is a big map of a small place, so uh, producing it's a, a kick in the pants. And do you think that um, given this, what you're seeing, and how, how much you appreciate more than most how mapping and, and the way people and communities are spread across the landscape, you know, is so important to understand that. Do you think that, um, it, you know, it would be worthwhile for more people to kind of take their hand at hand mapping things and kind of put themselves into the process more formally rather than relying on computers or technology? Well, my initial response to that is absolutely, <laughs> but I'm a bit of a technophobe myself. Uh, this just feels much more real to me. Thank you so much, and I'll let you get back to your work. Okay, now we're over here at one of the excavation units where we're mapping a feature. And so this is a rock hearth feature, and we've got two volunteers here learning how to map this unit to scale. So first we've got Maywin Richards, who has a piece of graph paper in front of her and a mechanical pencil. And then we've got Wade Bullier, who has um, a bunch of long one-meter measuring tapes. So what are you two doing right now? We are measuring rocks from the edge of the unit and to the rock that um, the large and small and we measure and then make a point where we connect the dots that that we and once we're done if you're ever done. It's very tedious, but it's also very detailed, and we are lear it's a huge learning curve for Wei and I, but um, I think we're doing very well. You're doing a great job, and one of the things that's so important about this is when you take a photograph, you lose so much of that three-dimensional information, and so that's why we like to have a backup of something that's hand-drawn so the people's, what you're seeing with your eyes is coming across on the paper. So, Wade, are you equally as... Ah, you could say it again. <laughs> Great minds think alike. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, this is, this is new for you as well. So did you think when you came here to volunteer to spend a week with archaeologists, did you think that so much of it was going to involve graph paper and pencils and um, minute measurements? Yeah, pretty much. So you knew what you were in for. Well, I, yeah, I knew it was going to be t detail work, and uh, we're going to be on our knees bending over stuff and taking measurements. Well, I think your map's going to be beautiful, and I'll let you guys get back to it. Thank you for talking with me. So we're doing all sorts of mapping here at the site, from the site-level mapping, which involves some of the survey equipment that Eric and John talked about, to the more fine-grained mapping that Maywin and Wade are doing. So let's see what else we can find out what's happening at the site. So, with me right now, I have Sienna Ritter, whose grandpa is actually an archaeologist, so she's probably been hearing about old rusty cans and stuff for most of your life, huh? Yes, I have. <laughs> and so, what kind of stuff are you learning? Is this kind of what you thought archaeology was about? Um, I thought it was a little different, like, you would find more stuff. Yeah, I learned how to screen and dig and all of that stuff. And you're actually working with Jackie Chung, who's one of the amazing archaeologists working in Oregon. And it looks like you guys have found a lot in your unit. You've found glass. And, like, what kind of stuff have you been seeing so far in the excavation unit you're working on? Um, we found a bunch of glass, and we found metal with little holes in them. 
We also found a bunch of burnt wood, and if we find a bunch of nails around it, then it could be a structure that got burned down. So, how old are you? Um, I'm 11. You are officially the youngest archaeologist out here, next to me, of course. And so, when you see the pottery in the bottles, like, that's kind of stuff that you see today in your own kitchen. So, what is, does that make you feel connected to the people that lived here a long time ago, or does it kind of teach you a little bit about what their lives might have been like? Um, yeah, pretty cool, I think. All right, thanks so much for taking a minute to talk with me, and I'll let you get back to that fun, exciting screening. I hope you find some good stuff. So in addition to mapping, another important way that we get to know about the people who lived and transformed this landscape is through excavation. So we're going to talk to some of the people that are helping us actually do the digging. There's a lot of mapping involved in that as well. But another important part of that is screening the dirt that's removed from the units. So we're going to walk over and talk to Tatiana Watkins with the Forest Service and Jocelyn Lee, who's a PhD candidate at Stanford University. And both of them are sitting here with wooden boxes with eighth inch screen and they're picking through rocks and charcoal and nails and twigs and looking for things that are human made. So tell us a little bit about screening, Tatiana. Yeah, so with screening, it's a really important part of the excavation process because, you know, while we're digging and using our trowels, you know, we are able to see some of our larger artifacts, but these smaller ones like nails and like these small tacks and pieces of glass, we don't really see while we're digging. So this part's really important to be able to shake through all the rocks and all the dirt and duff and really find those small artifacts that really can tell a really important story for the people who are here. I feel like it's a important job of the screeners to also identify like what's the difference between like what a rock looks like versus some of the artifacts so what's interesting is that some artifacts in certain conditions can look like rocks and the ability to kind of identify what is a rock versus what is not is actually one of the biggest challenges of being a screener yeah good point and when I'm just standing here looking here um, you know not looking closely and not having like my screen eyes turned on it just looks like a bunch of different types of rock and there's there's benefits to like you know working in the sun versus the shade maybe the light catches like glass and stuff and then also you want to look at it from a bunch of different angles and you can see stuff so you go through it lots and lots of times anything else you want to say about screening Tatiana yeah so you know with excavations and with archaeology we tend to think that oh digging is the most important part it's the most fun part but we're really seeing that it's an equal partnership between the screening and the shoveling we work together with our paperwork we work together with um, the other units around us to make sure that we're encapsulating the full story of the site. Thank you. That's a perfect way to say it. And I think I see something in here. Oh, yeah. I just came and cherry-picked Jocelyn's screen. Sorry about that. Here's part of a ceramic jar. <laughs> You've been listening to Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose. Our show producers are Angela Decker and Charlie Zimmerman. You can find us online wherever you get your podcasts. We're not done digging in the past on this edition of the Jefferson Exchange. Coming up, political scientist Bill Mullimans tells stories of Oregon, the Rajneeshis, and more. We'll be back on the JX in just a bit.